Hello and welcome to another very special LAUSD Strike Edition of Pod Class. My name is Jason West. Well, here we are. We are on day four, although by the time this goes out, we will be into day five. Although hopefully not. Hopefully sometime between now and the time this goes out, the strike will have ended. Although it's not looking good. It is not looking like it's going to end anytime soon. It has been pretty mercilessly and relentlessly raining throughout this strike. So I don't know if all the photos of these teachers looking soaked straight through, like they are protesting live from the center of the ocean, uh, or maybe it's all the doom and gloom and all the children out of school. But man, everything you see out there on the news, on the internet, all the photos, uh, just, it's, it's looking, it's looking bleak, but, uh, you know, it's still very inspiring watching tens of thousands of people collectively at once coming together saying, we want something better for the students of our community. The children deserve more. They deserve a nurse. They deserve psychologists. They deserve school materials. Uh, it's impressive to see the resolve of all these teachers at once asking for what they believe is best for kids. And uh, because if you know anything about teachers, putting them all in a room and getting them to agree on one thing, <laughs> it's pretty hard. Uh, and here we are with tens of thousands of people all agreeing, hey, what's happening right now, it doesn't even matter if it's best for us or best for the city. It's just not best for kids. Uh, and so we're going to come together and fight for this. It's it's pretty inspiring. So as promised, I'm going to continue my own little personal uh, pod class strike in solidarity. So we are not going to have any fun mini pods or special guests with fun games at the end. Instead, I'm going to release mini pods every couple of days until the strike ends, interviewing various LAUSD teachers, getting the word straight from their mouth from the people who are on the front lines or right at the picket lines. Why are they protesting? What are they doing during this time that they're outside of school? What have they said to their students uh, in, in the interim before they left while they're out? What are they hoping for in the future? Some really illuminating dialogue coming from these teachers. So having said that, my special guest today is Alex Mitchell. Alex is a veteran of LA Unified for about 13 years. We talked a great deal about class sizes and the struggles he has had and has slowly or in some cases rapidly encountered throughout his years in LA Unified. Uh, he's, he's also a bit under the weather. He said, uh, as, as all teachers do, right? We managed to keep our immune system intact all the way until winter break. And as soon as winter break starts, nearly every teacher's immune system shuts down and we all finally get sick. So he was sick all through winter break, came back, was still feeling under the weather. About four days later, they started striking. He is now outside in the rain, dealing with his cold, his bronchitis, whatever it is he's got. Uh, but I, he was kind enough to join me and even kinder enough to join me remotely because uh, ain't nobody want to get what he's got. And uh, yeah, it's a really fascinating interview. And uh, here we go.
It was a soggy, soggy day today in Southern California. Uh, near ideal conditions for protesting. Just, you know, constant rain. Uh, with me today is Alex Mitchell. He is a 13-year veteran teacher at LA Unified School District, as promised. And he has been out in these ideal conditions protesting for, you know, the greater good of his students. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing good. Just battling a cold. Yeah. It's been wonderful being out in the rain. <laughs> Staying as dry as possible. Probably yeah. not. Right. Yeah. Staying dry under five layers and still getting wet somehow. And of course, as a teacher, you know, you go to school when you're not feeling well and you teach because it's so much easier than writing a sub lesson. But, you know, you can't really call in a sub for protesters for you. So, you know, you yeah, gotta there are go no out protest protesting. subs. There's no <laughs> yeah. uh, substitute picketers for me to go out there and <laughs> that, be like, hey, I'm Alex Mitchell today. That would be amazing. Oh, that'd be so great. I think my uh, my cough and my bronchitis would love that. But, but it, of course, typical sub fashion, they probably just mess up your entire plan. <laughs> ah, they'd give out word puzzles. <laughs> you come back the next day ready to protest and find all these fires you have to put out. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And all these papers to grade. I didn't even <laughs> assign that. <laughs> so uh, how is it going? How, what's it like out there? Day four. It's pretty inspirational um, out there. Every day we've had more and more students attend, which I have to give them credit. They're waking up early. They're getting there at 7 o'clock. And they're coming out with their teachers, parents, and they're just marching with us outside of school, out on the streets, in the pouring rain. They are energized. And really, that has been just wonderful to see and, and more motivating for me to be there every day as if I needed more motivation. But it's been so inspiring to see my students and other students from my school just out there with us. So what are some updates on the negotiations? Like, what are you hearing from your reps? What are you hearing coming down from the district offices? And any progress being made at this point? What's happening? Well, today is Thursday when we are speaking, recording. And I heard that Eric Garcetti, Los Angeles's mayor, is getting together um, the union team and the district team to negotiate. So he's going to be a kind of mediator for that. I believe that started at noon. So right now it is four, it's almost five o'clock. So I haven't heard anything about that. Um, I also heard that the state superintendent of education was coming down to Los Angeles to uh, lend an ear, I suppose. I don't really know uh, what his involvement is going to be. But one major thing that I did hear was our superintendent tweeted out that he was available 24-7 to talk, always open to talk. I but, saw that. But he wasn't starting any negotiations. He just put that out there on Twitter, and he didn't offer anything new. He didn't <laughs> he's, do anything. He's available for his at mentions. Exactly. Yeah, All he's, he just did that just for the publicity, just for the media. And I'm glad that it seems like Los Angeles, Los Angeles's parents and students and teachers see through that. But it's good that I'm guessing Eric Garcetti was the catalyst to get the sides together today. Hopefully they will keep talking. I doubt anything is going to get reached today. The district, you know, they, they put out stuff like they want to lower class sizes by two students, but they never say where they're coming from. 
Because if you think that your kids' classes are 34 students and they're going to go down to 32, you think, wonderful. But if you really know that your kids are in some classes of 50, 50 plus students, and they're going to lower them by two, or that the norm for the district is 42 or 43, and they're going to lower them by two students, you still think, wow, there's still 40, 41 students in my kids' class. And that sounds pretty awful still. Yeah, the the district put out a statement saying that they extended a, quote, new offer to significantly reduce class sizes, unquote. And then, of course, you look at what their significant reduction class size was, and it's middle school, Mm -hmm. like two, (laughs) high school by two. When you're talking about class sizes that are in the 40s, and the district says they're going to reduce by two, and they call it significant, does it feel like they are light years away from you? Or do you at least feel like they are making some sort of effort, even if it's slow going? No, I feel like they're light years away. I think that there's a big divide between what they think education looks like and what education actually looks like. And I think they're more concerned about the money that they have or say they have or don't have versus what it actually takes to educate a child, what it actually takes to educate 600,000 children in the second largest school district in America. And I think there's a big divide between that because they're worried about the bottom line at the district, whereas teachers, union members, students, parents know that education's messy, education can be costly, but at the end, the outcome is a better educated child. And that's worth the money, whatever it is. Who do you think is more to blame for this situation? The school district or the state? And I ask that question because LA Unified put out a statement through, of course, social media, which seems to be their preferred method of, you know, getting their information out to the public. They said, the strike won't create the funding we need to boost teacher salaries or hire new educators. 90% of the funding for our schools comes from Sacramento, the state capital, which... Los Angeles can't control. So who do you think is more to blame for this situation right now, the district? Or as they say, oh, no, 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 it's all the way up in Sacramento. They're the ones to blame. More to blame? It's true that the funding comes from the state in the state of California, which is different from other states in the country. So we do get most of our funding from the state. They are supposed to give every student or every district the same amount of money per student. Our district, though, seems to be denying how much money they have, or at least putting out false reports. They are also the ones that are in charge of overseeing how the money in our district is spent. So the money that they get from the state, they're in charge of figuring out how to spend it. So while I think there is an overarching problem of adequate funding per pupil in the state of California. I believe we're 48th in the nation, even though we might be the, uh, I think California is the fifth richest economy in the world, maybe the eighth, but we're 48th in the nation in per pupil funding. So that is a huge problem. And that is something that the strike does not necessarily fix, but I will give credit to our union president. He visited our school a while ago in the fall And he did say that after the strike, the next battle is with the state to increase funding. So our union is well aware 
that the strike is not the end. It's the beginning. We're striking so that students get a fair education. And then when our strike is over, the next step is to make sure that the state of California knows that we need more money per pupil in the state of California, not just Los Angeles. So I talked about this on the last episode when we went through all the list of things that the union is demanding over this strike. We're all pretty aware of those things at this point. What is it you specifically are striking for? What is part of your grievance? I would say that my biggest grievance would be smaller class sizes because the number one way to affect a student's education or to improve a student's education is to lower the class size. And I work at a very big public school and I love it. But I came to how many kids? I think this year there's an enrollment of 3,400. And last year, I believe it was about 3,200. We're the, if we're not the largest high school in the San Fernando Valley, then I believe we're the largest non-charter high school in the San Fernando Valley for LAUSD. And you've been there Uh, for how many years? This is my 13th year in LA Unified. I worked at two smaller schools prior to this, one small school for about 10 years and another one for one year. So you've seen a dramatic increase in class sizes. Can you talk about that? Yes. uh, At my old school, it was a very small school, so building the schedule was very hard. So sometimes we did have large class sizes just because we didn't have enough teachers. And so there were years that I had a class of 42, 39, but that was very rare. And mostly I had classes that were 32 max. Uh, One of my years I had a class of 18, 22. I mean, it was a real ideal environment. Besides getting to know the kids really well, we all felt like we were a team, which is what you want when you're teaching. I teach high school math, uh, algebra two and pre-calc. So when you're teaching these upper level, hard to comprehend subjects, you want to be, you want everyone to feel like we're in it together. And we're going to make it through it. And we're going to trust each other. We're going to believe in each other. We're going to pull each other up when we're feeling down and we're confused. And having classes of 18, 22, 28, it really brought that atmosphere out. And then I moved to a larger high school. And it has larger high school issues. I mean, I'm I'm with a staff that's larger than I've ever been with before, with a student population that I'm that's larger than I've ever been with before. And it's amazing. But we also have classes that are above 40. This semester, I finally have no class above 40 students. Last year, I had four out of my five classes above 40 students. Wow. And it was really rough because you really feel like you are a lecturer and you're in a factory Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to churn out this product. Right. And that's not ideal education. That's not ideal teaching. It's hard for the students to relate to you that way. It's hard for you to learn more about your students. So building that sense of community and getting through the material, the curriculum together is it's it's more difficult that way. Historically, what has been the max amount of students according to your contract? 
Well, I was looking this up the other day, actually, coincidentally, and according to our contract right now for non-magnet, just residential, regular schools, I believe the average is something like, um, or the class norm, which is the student-teacher ratio, is 42 or 43 to 1. Wow. And last year, back on the first day of school, they had 51 or 52 students rostered in my first period class. And it was going to balance itself out anyway, but I finally had to just say, I have 43 desks. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. You can't give me more than 43. And 43 was the max I've ever taught, and that was one time in my entire career. And here I am now with two classes of 43, class of 42, a class of 41, and that's now my usual. That's my regular. And with 42, 43 desks, do you even have the space to move around? I mean, I could just imagine, I used to have a class like 33, 34, 35 students. And, you know, it's not, wasn't the biggest room in the world. And I got to just tell you, these high school bodies, there's just not a lot of space for them. Yeah. And their stuff. And, and, and on the one hand, right, it would keep me honest, right? It would keep me as fit as possible because, you know, if I wanted to walk around the room, if I wasn't as fit, I wouldn't be able to walk around them because I'd have to slip between these <laughs> tiny little spaces right. between the desks and the chairs. But, you know, on the other hand, it's just like, man, I couldn't imagine a room the size of my former classroom fitting 42, 43 students. Talk about the challenges you faced logistically and just in having that many students in one class. Well, my seating charts have to be very creative and the students have gotten used to me trying different things out because I don't like to keep things the same. I always want to change, see how it works. And if it's not working, go back or do something different. But I started out with the classic rows and columns because that was the only way I could figure out. And it's so boring. It's just so boring to just be in rows and columns all the time. And we were having difficulty even rotating the desks into pods, like three or four desks together, because uh, they were the individual student desks where the seat and the desk are all, uh, all in one. And we were having difficulty just getting into pods for group work so that students could persevere through the math, you know, on their own or with some uh, classmates. So I finally, last year I kept it all uh, rows and columns. This year I decided to change it up a little bit and I tried to maybe split the class to, you know, half on one side, half on the other. And I found that that got a little bit more space. And then I actually just before winter break, I flipped it around all over again. But even still, I have to be a samurai warrior just <laughs> jumping over those backpacks, around the desks, through the aisles. I mean, I am just, I have to be as agile as possible. Like you said, you just have to be yeah. so fit just to get through. And eventually, no matter what you do, no matter how you organize your room, you can't take away the fact that you have 40-some bodies right. in there, plus your desk, your materials, technology, and everything else that's going on. So with the negotiations seeming to take a turn for the better, do you think the strike's going to last much longer? Or, you know, do you think it's going to be a hot minute, as the kids would say? It's going to be more than a hot minute. It would be nice. And one of my coworkers was putting positive energy that the strike could be over by Tuesday with negotiations starting today and hopefully continuing. And I want to believe her and I hope that her positive energy works. But I have a feeling that, the 1989 strike lasted nine days, that this strike 
could last nine days. I really hope it doesn't go more than nine days. I really hope I can be in my classroom tomorrow, to be honest. I mean, I just I miss being in my classroom, but this is important. I think there is enough divide. I don't trust the superintendent to put forward a real compromise or a real offer today. So I have a feeling that there's going to have to be more talks. I hope that they are continuous as opposed to taking a break on Friday or taking a break for the Martin Luther King weekend. I hope that they can continue through until they figure it out. But I just don't know. I, I am fearing that this will be a nine day, which is two weeks because of MLK uh, on Monday, a nine day strike. And I really hope no longer. What I find really fascinating about what's happening with El Unified right now is you watch the news, you go online, and every piece of news that is coming from the district in terms of what's going on in schools, they are putting their principles front and center. And man, you have never seen a group of people look more like hostages in your life than these <laughs> principles. <laughs> we are doing everything we can to make sure that the school runs smoothly. I mean, they, they look absolutely lost. And you kind of feel for them because on the one hand, all these people were teachers. But on the other hand, they are kind of stuck. Yeah. You know, because they're working directly below the school district and the school board. Exactly. What would you like to see from these administrators? Do you think that they could just go out and strike with you? Or do you think that might be too big of a risk for them? I think them striking with us is too big of a risk. I think back decades ago, it would have been something that happened, but unions aren't as strong as they used to be. So the principal's union, the administrator's union, they recently signed a contract, I believe within the last year, maybe a year and a half. Um, so it would be hard for them to strike. Whereas we've heard growing up of union strikes where other unions participated because it was the right thing to do even if they weren't directly affected by the union that was striking. And it would be great to see them, but the administrators are in a hard place. And I've been seeing my administration have been very nice. They've been out there um, outside school in the morning, welcoming the students. So we get to see them while we're picketing. And they are in a hard place. They have to do what the district needs them to do. They have to, of course, ensure the safety of the students. I heard today that their union was asking the district to close the schools because of how hard it has been wow. to have administrators and subs and other volunteers that the district might have picked up off the street to be in front of kids. And I mean, yeah, <laughs> you guys are protesting class sizes of, you know, 40, 42, 43. And in the wake of this protest, these principals now have like 73 student class sizes. <sighs> Or they're just all in the auditorium yeah, watching, watching a movie. Watching yeah, movies, yeah, that story. Which big is, story you know, about. Finding Nemo, I don't know. What are they going to watch? <laughs> like, you know, and everyone has to agree on it. I mean, is, yeah. I mean, is that really going to happen? They're, they're not finding their education, that's for <laughs> sure. I mean, it's really, it's like, when's the last time some of these principals actually were in the classroom teaching? So it's just like, it seems like an unenviable spot to be in. But at the same time, uh, you know, <laughs> it's really interesting that Ellie Unified has a union for their administrators because most administrators are not part of a union. Do you think that this dynamic is having right now during the strike is going to create stronger relationships between teachers and administrators? Because typically, you know, when we're not talking about striking, 
it's usually an us versus them kind of mentality of teachers versus administrators. Mm-hmm. Do you think that in some way this is going to help that relationship? I don't think it's necessarily going to change it. I think some teachers have an us versus them. Some teachers feel that administrators are partners in the education of the students. And I don't think it's really going to change it. At our school site, it's been pretty amiable. We understand that while we're picketing, there are other people that have to go to work. Right. Because if they don't go to work, then they will absolutely lose their job. Their union's not striking. It's not just the administrators. It's also the aides. So we understand that they do have a job to do, and they are going to make the best of it. I think that by the teachers picketing, that's enough to create a disruption to show how important that school staff in general, teachers, nurses, counselors, librarians, psychologists, everyone that works in the school, how important they are. Just by us picketing, just by leaving the classroom, students not coming to school, students showing up to school and having nothing to do, students coming to school, and then the best thing that's possible is watching a movie or several movies till three o'clock. So I don't think it's going to create uh, a rift between the administrators and the teachers. I think for the most part, we all know what's at stake. If unions in general in the country were stronger, I would love to see the administrators picketing with us because realistically, we're fighting for smaller class sizes. We're fighting for a nurse at every school every day so that every parent who has a kid knows that if their kid is a little bit sick, there is a nurse there to help them, to take care of them, a actual licensed registered nurse, as opposed to an office staff member who can give them a Band-Aid and call home. Counselors for students to talk to, to supervise the overall academics and what courses students are going to take. Psychologists for students to talk to when they really need it. A librarian, can you think It's crazy right now that it is okay that there is not a library open in every school in the country. Going to school and having a librarian when we were growing up was just common sense. What we knew. It was taken for granted, just like having a nurse. So really, when it comes to the administrators, I believe they know that we're also fighting for stuff that's going to make their life easier. Because even when it comes to the budget... At my old school, I was a Title I coordinator for a year. I was on the school site council for a while, many years, and we had to look over the Title I budget. After that recession and the furloughs, we had a nursing cut back, just like every school had. So we had nurse maybe three days a week, and then it was two days a week. And then I believe we ended up with 1.5 days a week of a nurse. So when it came to our discretionary budget to spend out of the Title I federal funding, We had to make choices. Do we buy more days of a nurse so that we have more nurses at our K-12 school? Do we buy a counselor? Do we buy more days for a psychologist? Do we fund enrichment programs? Do we fund field trips? Technology. Do we fund an extra teacher to reduce class sizes even further? Or an arts program, a music program? Those all came from the same budget. That included all the enrichment, all the remediation, included what we then as a school site had to choose to spend on stuff that should just be given, a nurse, 
a reasonable amount of counselors for the amount of students at our school, psychologists that students can actually access. Those should just be given. They shouldn't be something that schools then choose out of their discretionary spending to buy because students get sick. Last question. Mm-hmm. What did you tell your students before you went on strike? I tried to not be political about it. Um, it was very hard coming back from winter break and lesson planning because we were on winter break. We come back. It's the first day. Some students change classes. Then we might strike on that Thursday, so three days of school and then a strike, or the strike might be pushed back to Monday, which it was. So five days of school and then a strike. So I'm trying to refresh the student's memory after the three-week break and then also get them rolling in what we're about to do and where we're going, knowing that that's going to be interrupted. And the students were very understanding. They were very concerned. They didn't want to be bored. They want to have the structure of going to school. They want to know that they're going to be learning, that they're going to be doing something for themselves, their future. And they would ask every time I would talk about where we were going to go with a certain topic that I started or a certain topic that I reviewed, they would ask about it. And I tried to not stay political, but I did make them understand that we have to go with the flow. So we don't know when we're going to strike. It might be Thursday. It might be Monday. We don't know how long the strike's going to be. Could be two days. It could be two weeks. But whatever happens, we're going to do what we can right now while we're together. And then we're going to pause if we pause, which we, of course, paused for the strike. And when we come back, then we're going to do our best to keep moving. And so that's all I really said to my students. I didn't want them to be influenced by any of my personal beliefs when it came to the strike. They do know that I wish I had smaller classes. So that wasn't exactly something that just came up with the strike. Because <laughs> you're constantly telling four kids, I wish you weren't here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just look at four of them. You are um, the four I wish were reduced. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, it's especially when the class, when I move the classrooms around and then we get like half on one side, half on the other. And then I like look at one half and I go, we could be two separate classes of a normal size. Yeah. So, um, so they do know about the class sizes. And, you know, I did make sure they understand that it's more than just money. But for the most part, they get it because they're living it. This is literally their life. This is my career, but this is their life and this is their future. So they get it. They know. Yeah. I, uh, I certainly hope this strike ends very soon. Me too. And uh, if it does not, they're... Are definitely two types of teachers that I'd still like to talk to. The versus somebody who teaches an AP class because I cannot imagine oh, gosh. what those teachers, what those students are feeling. You know, all of a sudden they've lost a week and it might be more and maybe more towards the well, AP. Yeah, and who knows when it will end? And the other teacher I'd like to interview is an elementary school teacher because I imagine the way in which a teacher protests outside of their school. It's got to be different outside of an elementary school compared to a high school hmm. because I, I can only imagine if, if I'm six years old and I'm going to school and I see all of my teachers out there, you know, yelling uh, about what they rightfully demand and need. But, you know, bro- protests by their nature are not necessarily civil and happy. And, right, you know, so I just can't imagine, you know, the emotional 
feelings that of those, you know, those children walking by, you know, walking past their teachers on the way to school. So, you know, I would just wonder, you know, if that is different or I don't know, maybe am I just reading too much into it? Well, I would say because I went to the district, the local district rally yesterday, that elementary teachers protest signs are the best. <laughs> they are so cute, so creative. They elementary school teachers win. <laughs> Hands down. Elementary teachers, you have won the protest. Congratulations. You yes, they win the protest. You win. You you are now in charge of the district. <laughs> you you know, you also win at life because you're dealing with elementary students and yeah, their God germs and all their ugh, everything all day. Yeah. God bless elementary school teachers. One more thing though, Jason. Yeah. I also there were a lot of younger students out protesting as well. So parents did bring their elementary age children out and they had good signs too. <laughs> Cold star for the so. kids. They're there. You know, they, 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 I, I don't know if it'll be different. And that'd be interesting to hear about um, what it's like between uh, the differences between an elementary and a high school. But I did see elementary aged children out there uh, with signs and picketing with their teachers. And it was very inspiring. Well, listen, the, the whole movement is very inspiring. You know, seeing the community come together to demand Something that is, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's because it's best for kids, not best for a specific, you know, group of people within the district or a group of teachers. There's no power plays. It's just, you know, this is what's best for kids. They need a nurse. They need a, they need a psychologist. They need, you know, physical resources. They, and of course, they need to not feel cramped inside their classrooms. You know, it's all pretty inspirational. And I really appreciate you taking the time you know, to come out and speak your mind and share your thoughts on this podcast, you know, even though you've been out in the rain all day with a cold, bronchitis, whatever it is you've got. Everything right now. <laughs> you know, it, you, you literally have everything. So I just really appreciate you taking the time joining us, you know, even though I'm, I'm not going to lie, uh, I'm pretty glad that you are doing this remotely because I certainly don't want to catch whatever it is you got. Amen to that. <laughs> and I don't want to give it. But thank you so much, Jason, for doing this and uh, interviewing committing yourself to interviewing LUSD teachers during the strike. It's super important to get the views of those of us on the front lines out there. Yeah, I, I typically find that getting, getting the words from the people themselves, it's far more meaningful and far more impactful than, you know, just refreshing your Twitter feed to see what the people in power are saying. Because, you know, the people in power they're not going to paint the entirely the entire picture. So exactly. I, I really appreciate you coming out and, uh, you know, good luck out there, man. Keep fighting the good fight. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jason. Okay. That is our show. Again, I want to thank my guest, Alex Mitchell and all of the LA unified school district teachers who are lending their voice to not just this podcast, but to the cause in general. I really appreciate all of the feedback I've gotten on social media I've appreciated the emails, uh, and again, I've appreciated just seeing what I'm seeing, people fighting for what they believe is best for kids. Uh, again, as I mentioned in the interview, if you are a teacher in LA Unified and you'd like to come on this podcast, or if you are somebody who has a question for a teacher in LA Unified, please, you know where to find me. I can be found on social media at Teach Me Mr. West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email me at podclasspod. That's podclasspod at gmail.com. In particular, I'd be very interested if you are a, an elementary school teacher or an AP teacher, as I mentioned. 
be really fascinated to find out how this strike is affecting you and your students in particular. So please feel free to reach out. And again, uh, good luck out there. Stay dry. It seems like the weather's finally going to clear up. Hopefully uh, the strike ends just as the bad weather is ending as well. And until next time, pod class dismissed. Thank you.